This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Welcome back to Breaking Banks Europe. My name is Nina Mohanty and I am one of the co-hosts of the Breaking Banks Europe gang, if you will. Today on episode 116, we're talking about breaking carbon and green credit. I'm very excited for this because this is an area of finance that I have never really understood. And I've seen a lot of fintech companies that have come to the forefront to tackle various green challenges with the ultimate challenge, of course, being climate change, that existential doom that, uh, keeps me up at night. Uh, and I think many of us along with that. But I am here um, joined today by two far more intelligent um, and knowledgeable folks on the topic. The first is Matthias Wickstrom, who is the CEO of Deconomy. Matthias, how are you doing? Pretty good, Nina. Thank you very much. I'm glad to hear that. Um, and we also are joined by Eva Pavlak, who's the CEO and founder of Smart Forest. How are you, Eva? I'm also fine. Thanks, Thanks for so much. the invitation. Thank you for joining us. So to start off, um, I would really love to discuss your own businesses. I think off the back of you know the recent news, COP26 last year in November, there's so much money being poured into green finance as a whole. And this is, you know. It, at every level and every part of the financial ecosystem. But we see it all the time on my Instagram now. I get um, targeted sponsored content from various fintech companies telling me to get a wooden card or you know use this proposition that is green. And I think as well, with particularly the millennial and Gen Z generation, there is definitely a huge desire um, or dare I say, even imperative to take climate change very seriously. And that, of course, affects every part of our life, not just in maybe what we choose to eat, how we shop, but also down to our finances. So, um, Matthias, I'll let you go first. Can you tell us a bit more about you and Economy? Sure. Thank you very much. Uh, Matthias Wikström, co-founder and CEO of Economy, working out of Stockholm. We've gone from 17 to 75 in about a year and a half. So rapidly expanding, building on our capabilities, pretty much also uh, reflecting your, your observations, Nina, around um, the interest for the topic and also the urgent need for the solutions. So the economy was set up about three years ago, um, calculating the environmental impact transaction for transaction. Uh, making your credit card or payment card or your consumption sort of an educational instrument of its own instead of just a, a means for, for purchases. 
Uh, we also, that's one of our services, calculating every transaction, making it count in CO2 emissions equivalent, but also in water. The second one is calculating on product level, making every SKU or line item data carry a environmental impact as well as financial cost with a 2030 calculator. And the third one is the lifestyle calculator that sort of sets the ground for, for the understanding of all of the impact that we developed uh, together with the United Nations leading up to COP26 that you, that you noted earlier. Basically giving everyone in the world a chance to understand their impact and how to reduce it. So that's pretty much me and economy. Brilliant. And and listeners, you may have heard of Deconomy before if you've ever used uh, a Klarna card, for example, or even um, MasterCard, where there was a recent um, partnership that was announced. So that's probably where you've heard that before. Eva, I'm going to throw it over to you. Can you tell us a bit about Smart Forest and what led you to founding it? Uh, yes, sure. Uh, we are basically slightly from the other side of Matthias. So <laughs> we allow to invest in real trees, in real forests. So uh, how it works, someone could go to the bank, for example, and uh, put the money on deposit, or they would have a chance to, to buy a real living tree. And when the tree will be uh, at the end of the harvesting cycle, cut it, then uh, the person could get the timber or the money out of it. Obviously, there is a little bit IT in that involved. Uh, so we basically create the NFT certificate for every tree. So the owner would somehow interact with the tree and uh, see, for example, the weather conditions, because there are also the IoT sensors on the plantation. Uh, we also try to measure how much CO2 the trees is neutralizing. And basically for that, we have the carbon credit counter. So the owner would know how much his trees, for, his tree, for example, neutralize offset CO2 per week, let's say. That's so, so brilliant. And I love that it kind of mixes the Web 2, Web 3 world, and in fact, even the real world with actual living trees really gives a whole new meaning to the word tree hugger. Um, I really love what both of you, <laughs> both of you are building there. Pardon my pun. Um, and this is something that I think, you know, a lot of us often feel that there is, it's such an overwhelming problem, right? There's so much to do. And how does one person change the world? You know, I, I take my tote bag and I reuse my tote bag and I don't use plastic straws and I recycle and, and I keep thinking, you know, am I am I moving the needle at all? And so it's really great that, you know, there are products actually being built where consumers can come together and make really magnified change here, I think. Um, I wanted to kind of flip the script now. So we're talking about, you know, your businesses and um, carbon credit. And I think a lot of times, a lot of people that think of green fintech often think of like investments, um, I think of like Climate, for example, or there's a lot of new um, different businesses cropping up that very much focus on where you invest. So are you kind of um, divesting from fossil fuels and all those types of things? But I think what is also equally interesting is the topic, of course, of carbon credit. So maybe to start, um, Matthias, I'll ask you, 
What exactly are carbon credits? What is green credit? Oh, that's that's a very good question. And it also defines one of the challenges in this space. Because carbon credits today can mean so many different things. And there is just uh, recently um, regulations or advice on how to use words in what context. So impact, for example, or impact investing. What is the difference in impact investing and sustainability investing and sustainability investing compared to ESG investing? So the carbon credits could be in one component and it can be in corresponding with the initial ambitions in the Kyoto Protocol when it comes to carbon offsetting and establishing a trade around carbon credits on national level so that you put limits to the, each and every nation's uh, carbon emissions and you could trade in those emissions should you uh, exceed or subsede your, your desires. But I think to the retail market today, carbon credits comes down as a wording, comes more down to the traditional uh, carbon offsetting. And coming back to your to your amazing remark on tree hugger, I think that uh, nature-based <laughs> nature solutions are the ones that people today in the retail market associate the most with it. Looking at what you can do uh, out of a economy perspective, we would like to, and, and to Eva's point, we're coming at this from, from two different ends, really. And I, I love what, uh, what Eva and the guys are doing. Um, we're coming from the angle where we try to educate around what, how to measure your impact. So uh, measuring it, tracking and measuring your impact and making it understood, educating yourself around how much is one kilo of carbon emissions and how is it, how, what negative effect does it have and how is it rendered kind of thing. And then at the end of the day, we of course hope to provide opportunities to reduce your your impact through more conscious consumption or lifestyle changes but there will still be co2 emissions that you would need to to potentially offset that you can't reduce really and then that's where eva solution amongst many others kicks in and we also now see a great lot of of innovation in that space so i would say that the most precise definition if you're looking at carbon credits out of the carbon offsetting perspective would be uh, potentially direct air uh, carbon capture, such as uh, climate works or doing in, in Iceland and you know extracting carbon, which becomes an apple for an apple kind of thing. And that's, um, that's very, very precise out of that perspective, out of achieving one positive um, carbon kilo emissions and one reduction and one kilo carbon emissions uh, rendered. But the importance of, of carbon offsetting in the retail perspective of carbon credits is the fact that every action has a reaction. And we have for many years now, and we see that tremendous growth in the US the most around carbon offsetting being the holy grail. You know, I don't have to change anything as long as I pay up. You know, I, I can fly wherever I need to as long as I slap another $10 on the, on the ticket. And that we are very afraid of because nor have you had any insight around what, your, what the impact of your behavior is. And if you don't have the insight, how can you then try to adjust it? But on a high level, I think carbon offsetting um, as a financial instrument is really interesting. But the better, the more precise it gets on a retail perspective, 
the the greater the value. So that's why I was very curious to hear around Eva how you're trying to measure the positive effect of each and every three because I think that's what we're all looking to. We're all ex- we're all very concerned around the climate crisis, as you said, Nina. And how do we act to contribute to lessen the impact, to mitigate the crisis, and how do we measure that? Can we measure it one for one out of a retail perspective compared to a national governmental perspective or on a, on a corporate level? How should we do this? And that is exactly what we try to solve at the economy, provide language around impact that can travel in between users, in between countries, and make impact understood so that we know how to reduce it as well. That is so great to hear. And I think you make a very good point. It's not anyone in isolation. It's not just the end customer in isolation. It's not just one particular government in isolation. It's everyone together. But you uh, provided me with a lovely segue to ask Eva exactly that question, which is at Smart Forest, how are you actually measuring the impact? Because I think you know, there are a lot of incentives now in play. Um, I recently had a fascinating discussion with an estate owner in um, the Midlands of England. And he was saying, you know, not every tree is created equal. You know, spruce, for example, is very different than oak and trying to explain, you know, that you would need acres of land, especially with certain government incentives. Um, we know, I know now that the UK government is trying to come up with more tax incentives for climate friendly um, changes that can be made. So I'm very curious if we're just talking about trees for now. Let's all be tree huggers for this episode. I certainly am. Eva, how are you thinking about that at Smart Forest? Yes, sure. Obviously, obviously, there is a great differentiate between different types of the trees and how much of the emission they consume. That obviously depends on the type of the tree, on the size of the tree, uh, and where the tree is being uh, planted. Because you have different different things which are influencing. So, for example, the small tree from one side is uh, consuming less carbon because it's small. On the other hand, the tree is consuming the higher number of carbon when it's growing. So you have to keep in mind those two facts. Also, uh, different trees might have different, as I already said, different offset levels. So for example, the oak could have, uh, it depends on the size. So it could be from one kilo to 20 kilo per year. For example, uh, with fast growing trees, you have a higher number uh, at some point. Because uh, obviously they are growing uh, bigger and rapidly they need to use m- much more of the CO2 to build the, the fiber. So the, the build the, the normal mass of the tree. And that also depends on the moisture level of the tree. So obviously if you're measuring just the carbon, uh, you're measuring the size of the tree. So how much it grows during the year. And obviously you make the assumption because you cannot know fully, for example, how high percent of the roots that you would have. Let's say it's one third of the mass, the same as for the branches, leaves, and so on. Uh, and basically knowing the how dense is the tree, how high has the moisture level, 
what's the average size during that year on the plantation, we could make the assumption that, for example, during the period where there are the leaves, so let's say the spring to summer, we can say that it uh, neutralized this and this amount. But also you have to keep in mind that in the plantation, despite the trees, you have also the ground, which is also storing the, the carbon. So indeed, this is a pretty complex question. <laughs> No, but it's it's very insightful to know these things because, you know, I'm not, uh, I, I'm from Cap the state of California, but uh, we have all our wildfires and everyone assumes that we know everything about trees and wildfires and forest fires and we're all, you know, forestry experts, but unfortunately we are not. And so it's always good, I think, to to understand that. I wonder from your perspective at Smart Forest, you are getting people to actually invest in a plantation of trees or in an individual tokenized tree, right? So I wonder how that differs perhaps from what Matthias and his team are building at Deconomy, where it's much more lifestyle focused and, and reducing harm, if you will, harm protection in the context of climate change. Whereas for you, you're providing the actual uh I suppose, carbon capture solution on the other end. How do you think about getting that messaging across to the end consumer who you want to invest? Mm -hmm. I think we are able with Matthias to share the market easily. <laughs> <laughs> Because obviously the question is, uh, as Matthias already mentioned, is not only to neutralize, but also somehow to measure and to know and to be conscious. This is very important. And by the way, Nina, you started from the from the beginning that many people would be uh, happy to, and obviously their customer decisions are showing that that they are preferring green products. They are able to. They are willing to go green. Uh, about seventy-five percent, according to statistics, people, especially uh, twenty-five to thirty-five, are keen to pay more for the product if the product is green. So, for example, it's carbon neutral and so on. Uh, also, coming back to the other part of your question, uh, it's impossible to fully reduce the emission even if we talk for example about the green energy like solar panels or windmills they are obviously being produced somewhere so we have the uh the carbon which is being released when it produced i guess matthias would be the best person to to say to give some exact numbers for example how much of the carbon it's uh it would produce in the release in this case obviously if we talk about the trees also at the moment where the cut where you cut them uh you have two options either you burn it and then obviously there is the carbon uh, going carbon dioxide going back to the atmosphere or you build a house and if the house is gonna stay for 100 years then obviously the carbon will be stored for that period uh, there is a lot of people who are asking this question and the market, it's very complex itself. It's like 65, I, I guess, different uh, trading schemes currently for the carbon emissions. So uh, I'm afraid it would take like five hours to, <laughs> to explain <laughs> that in details. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, on that note, we're going to go to a quick break, but stick with us, listeners. We have more on carbon credits when we're back. Let's talk about the future of payments. Your Breaking Payments exclusive series is here. 
and we are ready to showcase how fintech has deconstructed the payments industry and is rebuilding it seamlessly as an embedded experience for the client. Stay tuned for new episodes every month on Breaking Banks Europe. And we're back. We've been talking about carbon credits, green credits, um, often more commonly known in the context of carbon offsetting. And this is something that uh, we've talked about a lot um, and actually in other episodes of Breaking Banks Europe. But there's something that Matthias said in the first part of our conversation that I wanted to come back to. And this is the idea of, of incentive alignment. And I think that there's an interesting dilemma that poses itself when we say, hey, offset your carbon uh, for your purchase by adding on, you know, two pounds or something, or or in the case of a flight, you know, increase the, the cost of your flight and offset it and we'll plant a tree or whatever. And so this kind of traps many consumers into this idea that we can solve the problem by just paying a little bit more. And Eva, you also mentioned that, you know, Gen Z, younger millennials are open and and not just open, but willing to pay more, which is great for this particular purpose. But I wonder if we think about incentive alignment, how should we be thinking about the wider change that we want to see? Um, You touched on it earlier, Matthias, about looking at the overall impact that our lives have. But can you kind of walk us through how you think about that alignment as a consumer, and then perhaps also as wider retailers and governments. Yeah, thank you. So to Eva's point, this is uh, this is a growing and increasing uh, complexity around the structures, which is one of the challenges. So um, in regard of, of understanding your impact in order to reduce it, I think we need to activate a lot of unorthodox alliances, companies that might not have worked together before, organizations that might not have worked together before. When we started working, we got MasterCard and the United Nations to, to unite in one of our, our services and to bring this to the world. And that was a, a, a brilliant partnership with Economy and them, but it was the first one in that space. And so this is going to take some new new thinking to get our head around and to educate the users around their impact in order for them to understand their impact. And coming back to incentives and, you know, not just paying up for a get out of jail for free card, you know, it's like you get on our flight and you don't even have to pay any carbon offsetting. It's included in our loyalty program or in your ticket or in your luggage tag or whatever. I think that's the wrong way to go. I think we need to understand our impact. If we don't understand it, uh, how can we then do something about it? And the way we're looking at it out of the carbon offsetting perspective, the economy is not making any money on carbon offsetting. It's not the business we're in, and we don't want to we don't want to to take money from that market to 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 the benefit of us. That money should go to that market. But we do provide the opportunity or offset, if you'd like, to working together with the UNFCCC for a long time and developed a strategy around that that we call. Um, something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue. Oh, lovely. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so that's basically incentivizing in different ways. So once you understand it, the, your impact, and if you would like to, to offset for it, you could choose to go old school, and you know, trees are a brilliant place to go to look for carbon 
uh, offsetting and working with MasterCard and the Priceless Planet Coalition is one. And they have a very ambitious target for planting trees across the world that is connecting with every cardholder and member of the Prices Planet Coalition, and you can do the Klarna route, going down what would then potentially be something new, working with carbon offsetting out of a donations perspective into environmental projects that might not have a direct offsetting component, but is working to, ben- to the benefit of the environment together with their partners at Milky Wire. Uh, or you could go for something borrowed, which would then be lending money to support initiatives, getting sustainable production practices in place. Or you could go uh, for something new, which would then be direct air carbon capturing or other new innovation and technologies that's coming into play. And the reason why I'm going through this for is because they have resonated differently with different uh, target groups and different you know people some some uh, are looking to the fourth one being blue which is blue carbon and personally i love the ocean and there's nothing you know that i that i appreciate more out of an environmental perspective so for me blue and and mangrove or seabeds are extremely interesting to to donate to in regard of carbon offsetting so the most important component is that There is a quote that Jean-Paul Sartre said once that once you know and are aware, you can choose to do something or you can choose to do nothing, but you're still aware. And I think if we can work together to build this awareness, the tools and the solutions will come, you know, because the awareness will create a demand. And where there is a demand, there will be money because where there will be money, there will be profits. And if we can make saving the planet a profitable effort, then the planet will be saved in no time. Absolutely. Oh, Matthias, you're a man after my own heart, quoting Jean-Paul Sartre. Um, lovely, lovely. Hey, I see, see you in Paris. I, I told you, you that's, that's <laughs> the place to be, right? <laughs> it's the place to be. Um, off the back of that, I find that very, very interesting because I, I had not realized that the ocean was such a big tool as well in um, helping us combat carbon, well, climate change and in aiding carbon capture. I think one of the things I wanted to kind of zoom in on, though, is Eva, your earlier comment where you were telling us about different trees and all these different aspects that go into play, especially when we talk about, in particular, forests and carbon capture. And this boils down to the question of legitimacy and credibility. And the reason I also bring it up in the context of um, smart forest is because you have an interesting proposition that is also uh, dips its toe in Web3, where we know that there has been um, quite a bit of speculation. You know, NFTs are very popular at the moment. I think what you're building in, in terms of your NFTs is something that has value, not, I was about to say it has actual value, uh, but heaven forbid someone with a board ape comes after me on Twitter. Um, but I wonder, you know, you're mixing these two worlds where on the one hand, carbon capture is relatively new. I won't say new because it people have been researching for many, many years. Um, but as you say, there's so many different factors. And as Matthias earlier stated, there's no one defined kind of standard quite yet as to what it actually, what it means. And and I I imagine that even when there is, it will be regional differences as well around the world, geographical. 
So I wonder how you think about building credibility for your business, for what you're trying to build for the world here. Because on the one hand, the actual thing that you're doing, measuring the carbon offset of your trees and then the NFT part, the Web3 part, both are a bit blurred kind of gray areas. So how do you think about legitimacy and credibility at Smart Forest? It's obviously a very important question. I guess a lot of companies are struggling with it. Uh, we basically have pretty easy model because we indeed have a plantation and uh, each tree, each NFT has the exact GPS coordinates. So if someone wants, they could go to the plantation and have a look if, or even hug the tree, as you said. <laughs> Excellent. So in our case, it's pretty easy, but indeed there is something which is called greenwashing, which is existing. And uh, it's when the company is paying to officially offset the their emission. Uh, greenwashing happens when there is no real action standing behind it. There is just a lot of... Uh, green marketing involved in that. And by the way, uh, we were mentioning about the carbon credits and so on, but we didn't mention the core, maybe not all of the listeners, uh, they know because there is there are different carbon markets, overall different ones, and one which Matthias more or less described as the complementary. So mm-hmm. where the different countries, they have different limits. And there is also voluntary offsetting. And for example, in case of a forest and in case of the trees, uh, we most of the projects are working in the voluntary. Voluntary means that any of us uh, could, according to the wish, the offset, offset the emission. And again, there is the question how to measure that. So, for example, using different fuel on cooking stoves in India, let's say, how much it would influence indeed uh, the, the carbon neutralization. It's very difficult to, to say some exact numbers. Sometimes they are taken out of the blue, uh, but obviously a lot of different scientists are working on that. Uh, but as I mentioned, with the trees, it's pretty easy because you just measure the trees. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty easy in this case. Uh, by the way, the, um, I've been in on the Dubai Expo recently uh world expo and uh, spain was promoting themselves as the country who is offsetting through the alga so indeed for the ocean oh, brilliant. So they had yeah and they have this program and they had uh, the whole level the uh, bottom level of the exposition just with algas and how much of co2 they could neutralize that is super super exciting i think that is probably one we'll have to have another episode on because I'm now fascinated in this blue credit um, or blue carbon uh, situation. And Matthias, I think, you know, you've got to have a word with the, with the Swedish government because I would have expected more. <laughs> Sweden, it definitely has a lot of surface area touching the sea. Oh, yeah. No, but, you know, it's it's uh, it's interesting because your, your reaction is, is uh, pretty normal, I would say. I mean, oceans are considered to be the main natural carbon sink. They, they, I think they, and, and, and keep me honest here, Eva, but I think that they are capable of absorbing around 50% of the carbon emitted into the atmosphere. So they're doing a, they're doing a, 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 a they're doing some heavy lifting being the oceans in, in uh, helping us to, to get this crisis resolved. That's for sure. Brilliant. The one last thing that I want to touch on before we wrap up is kind of a surprise question. So listeners, this is not one that I prepped anybody for, but one that I think, you know, we are coming from the perspective of Europe, breaking links Europe. 
Um, and we know that climate change is disproportionately affecting people and communities in the global south. And so I am um, I think about this often because I do a lot of work with refugees and, and nowadays a lot of refugees are coming to Europe because their homes are no longer habitable. Um, you know, there's a intense drought which leads to famine, which means that people need to leave. Or, you know, in the case of just quite recently with Tonga, you know, you've got entire islands that are completely submerged. And of course, that was not necessarily climate change related because it was an underwater volcano. But we see this happening where there are actual islands disappearing. So I wonder for both of you sitting as you do kind of in the Western world, how do you think about creating an equitable change? Um, and, and does carbon credit actually play a role in that at all? Um, and how do you think about this as we move forward to combat climate change? Eva, do you want to start? I, oh, sorry, Matthias, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Sorry, Eva, you, you can go ahead. It's just a topic very close at heart. But please, Eva. Yes, but basically, Matthias, if you want, you can, you can have a word first, feel free. Okay, super, thank you. I think this is, this is one of the most important questions around uh, the climate crisis and how we distribute the opportunity to act on it. Um, all of Africa, on an industrial perspective, emits 4% of the global carbon footprint, 4%. Might be even less, it might be 3, some, three point something. So we really address this uh, as a problem created by all, because it, it's not created by all, it's created by, you know, the top 10, 15% emitters in the world. And looking at Sweden, we have a, an average of 12 metric tons of carbon footprint per capita. Looking at Colombia, it's down to two. So, I mean, if we are to cut our emissions in half, that's going to have a tremendous impact compared to Colombia. And I'm not even looking at the average per capita uh, carbon footprint of the whole African continent and would probably be somewhere below one metric ton per, per capita. So this is where for years now, people have been talking about financial inclusion, you know, the unbanked and getting access to credit and getting access to credible and safe transfers. I think we need to start talking about climate instead, climate inclusion. And that in order to do so, the language around climate impact needs to be set. It needs to be distributed in a way so that everyone can connect to it. It needs to be understood by everyone and it can't discriminate anyone. That's why I'm also proud of the economy having developed the lifestyle carbon footprint calculator together with the UNFCCC as they are setting many standards and they are working according to, to, to best in class kind of performance. So I think that is one way to contribute to that. Another way to contribute is coming back to Eva's example around the cooking stoves and all of the more uh, older components in, in um, carbon offsetting and how to contribute that to that in the best of way. Now we see an, a tremendous uptick in donations. Because that's basically what carbon offsetting is all about, giving your money away for someone else to do something with it. You know, And now it's inspiring to see also that investments are coming into play, making use of the same mechanics, also having a financial return or a, or a return in other value. So I think that is where we need to be in order to get this sorted. We need to work everyone 
you know, all hands on deck to get this done. But we must also be aware that this is an unjust and unevenly distributed impact. I think that what India did at COP26 was a very good um, indicator on the fact that we can't just move on in the in the ignorance of things, thinking that you know we know how to solve this best, and we've been doing this for years, and we've created the largest footprint. But of course, you know there is there is uh, development in the world that will need energy, that will need products, that will need ambition to create a better tomorrow for me and my children. And we need to address that uh, and not just, you know, uh, ignore or, or, or discriminate away from it. So I think it's a brilliant question. And it's actually another episode, I think, because it's so much to talk about. Absolutely. Eva, any words on that? Yes, sure. Basically, there's a very good example of China. Uh, which is currently one of the biggest emitters, but they are working together uh, to resolve that questions. Uh, a lot of, uh, I mean, a lot of, I know the, the main two Chinese banks, which were supporting uh, through, the, uh, through the green credits mechanism, uh, changing into the factories who are the, bigger, the, biggest, um, the biggest emitters um, and basically, uh, as far as I remember, they had two different ways to resolve the question. First one was to cut the financing of the companies who are not fulfilling uh, the SDG goals. Uh, I guess it was uh, mainly the companies who were uh, like having heavy products, heavy production. And the other way is, was to support the green innovation in the industry itself. Uh, and basically, I guess the connection of those two two attitudes. So, like in the carbon trading, you have cap and trade, where you have some limits, and the company has. To, I mean, in this case, the the country has to fulfill, uh, or on the regional level, the company has to fulfill those limits. And if not, either they'll have to pay the money to to for the additional offsetting, or they have uh, some sanctions. And the other way is to support financially some of the uh, transitions, innovation, I mean, green transitions, let's call it like that. So uh, to, to avoid the bad impact on the ecology. And I would say that we can see some of the countries being in the, the example. China obviously has still a long road to go. But at least uh, they started to to work on their ecology, and I guess it's it's really brilliant. I'm currently in India, and I really love to see here such a changes. Uh, also, obviously, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing those thoughts. And I think, as Matthias rightly stated, we've got a lot more to talk about, and it could be a whole other episode. But for now, we're going to wrap up. Thank you so much to my two brilliant guests for speaking with us today, for educating me on the topic. Um, Matthias, where can our listeners find out more about you and about Deconomy? You could check out Deconomy.com or swing by our office in Stockholm for a, for a cup of tea. Oh, well, I'm going to take you up on that because I do miss Fika. You're welcome. <laughs> so I'll definitely swing by at some point. And Eva, where can our listeners find out more about you or Smart Forest? Also on our webpage, it's smartforest.world. Brilliant. Well, thank you again so much for joining me. 
remember we are all in this together. So we will take that with us into our everyday lives. Thank you again for joining us. And we'll see you on the next episode of Breaking Banks Europe. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.